You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. I am Janice Legata, and this is a meeting of the Bad Book Club. We are reading Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, losing the plot on manhood one chapter at a time. We'll have a reading of the opening paragraph, I'll give a few thoughts, and then join one of the members of the Bad Book Club for a discussion. In the end, we'll hear the closing paragraph, and I'll give some closing thoughts, all with the intention of leaving you free to think your own thoughts about the chapter, the book, and all things really so. Without further ado, let's get into... Wild at Heart, Chapter 4. The story of Adam's fall is every man's story. It is simple and straightforward, almost mythic in its brevity and depth. And so every man comes into the world set up for a loss of heart. Then comes the story we are much more aware of, our own story. Where Adam's story seems simple and straightforward, our own seems complex and detailed, many more characters are involved, and the plot is sometimes hard to follow. But the outcome is always the same, a wound in the soul. Every boy, in his journey to become a man, takes an arrow in the center of his heart, in the place of his strength. Because the wound is rarely discussed and even more rarely healed, every man carries a wound, and the wound is nearly always given by his father. Hello everybody and welcome to the second quarter of Wild at Heart, a man's game that only ends when everybody loses. Nobody wins in this, and I just get angrier and angrier at John Eldridge and the super shitty misogynist evangelical complex that platformed him. This book is trash. It uses so many perfectly good words to say so many completely unnecessary, unhelpful, and untrue things, and I just, I can't believe we're only four chapters in. And believe it or not, things only get worse from here. So brace yourself as best you can as we go on another terrible adventure inside the terrible mind of John Eldridge with this week's Wild at Heart Book Club member. My name is Joey Prestamo. Joseph, if you're formal, but I mostly go by Joey. My pronouns are he, him. I am a composer, musician, photographer, artist, also a pastor's kid, <laughs> which is relevant, I guess, to this podcast. And I don't really, I was thinking about this one. I don't really have favorite quotes necessarily, but I'm going to go ahead and quote the iconic drag queen, Naomi Smalls, who was quoting Naomi Campbell when she said, check your lipstick before you come for me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Joey, Joey, I met, so I guess in 2017, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now Joey is someone who chokes me up on Instagram. Oh. Just just looking at you and just seeing, you know, and some of it just sounds so cliche at this point, but like just, just the freedom. And, it's true. Uh, it's, and it's just so beautiful. Your spirit was always there and you've always been, you've always been mm. this sweet, kind, beautiful person. But like mm. to just see you be able to just fully yeah. be that. Rock Hills. Mm-hmm better than I ever could or even aspire to because that <laughs> shit hurts um, just being beautiful on Instagram all the time thank you I love it I mean yeah we met when we were both very stuck in the evangelical place although we were both already at the time like kind of looking at it with some side eye like I don't know about this <laughs> and now I'm like at a point where yeah I want to look as queer as possible I want to like just fully, I want to be loud and express myself. And yeah, I'm always, I'm painting my nails. I'm wearing heels, you know, trying to, I'm just trying to be a fashion icon at 34, you know, like. <laughs> and succeeding. Well, thank you. You're not trying, you're doing it, you're doing it. 
Thank you. But yeah, I'm definitely like, I feel, I do feel like I'm thriving. I'm like in a new phase and I'm like, it's just, yeah, it's been, it, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. And so then here comes Wild at Heart. <laughs> here it comes. Come on. So where, when, how, why did you first become aware of this book? This book, this book, I'm not going to lie. This book has like chased me my whole life. I feel like this book and Captivating, which were both influential, I feel like they just operated in the background of everything. In the evangelical world, I feel like they were just accepted as gospel truth. The This is, it is what it is. And so it was like, it wasn't even that it was pushed so much on me, although it was, of course. Everyone I knew had read it. Everyone I knew would talk about it. But it was also like the themes from this were just, they were in the background of sermons. They were in the background of like small group conversations. It was like, this was just the framework for so much of what we were doing. It's kind of like when you see, like when you learn more about like political ideology and stuff like this, it's like, oh, when you're saying that you're actually repeating talking points that you heard from someone else. That's like this book. It was like, everybody was just repeating these talking points as if they were unquestionably true. And so I, I have never read it before. And I specifically avoided reading it. I would get so triggered anytime this book came up. <laughs> anytime somebody was talking about this book, I would be so triggered by it. And I would get like instantly, like instant rage because I was like, I just know that this book is, is bad for me. Like it does not work for me, you know? Cause you know, this is, you know, without getting too deep too soon, but like I, you know, I'm gay and being gay in the church has been a huge struggle and not just in terms of sexuality, like who do you want to date, but also in terms of expression. There's a reason that I'm painting my nails and wearing heels now and doing all this stuff. One of the biggest sources of trauma has been not just around like, oh, you're not allowed to get married, but like also you're not allowed to express yourself. You're not allowed to just be gay. And so books like this that are all about masculinity and how to be a man and what a man is mm -hmm. in this very narrow lens, it was like, I avoided it like crazy because I just knew, I was like, I can't handle this shit. So then how did you feel about reading a chapter of it in Genesis? <laughs> Genesis, I am so excited. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but I am so excited to hate read this book. <laughs> first of all, so first of all, I'm just going to send all the love back to you. I feel like you are thriving out here and you are just like all the content that you put out is like so good. And I, you're my hero. I admire everything about you. Like, seriously, I'm going to fangirl this whole episode. And like, I just love like everything that you're doing in the deconstruction space, the way you break things down, the way that you see through all the bullshit, you know, so clearly. And so I was just excited to do this with you because I'm just, I'm very excited for this conversation. But also I listened religiously to the last season of Bad Words mm -hmm. and I have never heard of John Brevere. I had never read that book, but it was so healing for me to listen to that podcast because even though I never read the book, I've read so many books like it. And I was so familiar with the genre and the type of language and the style of writing and all of this. And to listen to you just 
break it down. <laughs> it was like these books used to have so much power over me. And now I'm like, I don't have to be afraid of this. It's actually so dumb. And I don't, I don't even have to, it doesn't have to take up any space in my mind. And also I feel like when you're in the evangelical world, you're like not allowed to be shady. Like you, <laughs> you have to be so polite. And now I'm like, we can just be really shady because this this is shit. <laughs> yes, it is. And you know what? It's shady. That's it. It's so true. It's like the pastors get to be shady because they do it with the right tone of voice and the right style right. of words. Right. So true. And with the with the authority. So they're yes. saying, no, we're not being shady. We're just, we're just telling, telling you God's truth. God's truth and you don't like it. Take it up with God. So he mm -hmm. said, okay. Okay. <laughs> I will. <laughs> and he sent me back to you. So now <laughs> here we are. Here we are. So what chapter did you have and what was it about? I had chapter four and it's called The Wound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this, I mean, The Wound the wound is a central theme for John Eldridge. He also has the sacred romance. I feel like he has other books too that talk about this, like every man has a wound. And so that's what this is about. It's like the premise is every man has a wound. Every boy in his journey to become a man is wounded. And if he doesn't face the wound and heal from the wound, then it's going to haunt him for the rest of his life. And I have questions. <laughs> I have some questions. And, you know, the, the funniest thing that about this chapter is I feel like he actually gets so close so many times to saying something true and simple and accurate, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, his interpretation and the way that he simplifies it and makes it universal, I'm just like, why? You know, like, every man has a wound. Like one wound, what? Just one primary wound yeah. that then directs everything. Mm -hmm. Right, like why would it be that simple? Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you have many wounds. I mean, of course everybody has wounds, you know, whether it's actual trauma or whether it's just like bad experiences or like messages that you internalize from people, from authority figures, from family members. Everybody has that. Like that's just very simple and true. But like one wound for your whole to life. Rule them all. <laughs> Exactly. I'm like, I just, how did you get here? Like, I don't know. It's, is, it, is, it, is it just because it sounds very simple and it's like gives you one narrative for your whole life? I don't know. And my, one of my issues, but if we're only allowed to have one wound, maybe I can only have one, <laughs> one issue. It's like this book is written to Christians for Christians. Mm -hmm. Alleged, that's my assumption. Mm -hmm. And so all of this is going to people who have already believed in Jesus, accepted Jesus. It just makes, to me, it just makes God, it makes the gospel, it makes Jesus so powerless because mm. what, what good, what good is it? If I've accepted Jesus, I've taken all this in, I'm doing my best. I'm out here. I want to be a good person. I want to do mm -hmm. the right things. But now you're going to tell me I've got this wound. Everybody has it because of Adam and Eve. So salvation did nothing. That did nothing right. for that. We all have these wounds. And then now I have to read and apply this special book yeah. to to deal with this. And this is only one thing. This isn't for my weight issues, for my work-life balance. This mm -hmm. is like, well, there's so much to life. But I think that that is also like, you're touching on there is a complete lack of intersectionality. And that's because he's a straight white man. He's 
probably never had to think about like what if you're also fat what if you're also black what if you're also queer like all these things like of course you just have one wound because you're like you're at the top like there's nothing yeah you have one problem and that's your whole life you know people who talk about intersectionality are like this space makes me feel this type of way but this other space makes me feel a different type of way it's like there's different things coming at me from all angles that I have to navigate as opposed to like this is, you know, I just have one narrative for my whole life, you know? Yeah. Also, can we talk about the introduction, though? I know you're going to, like, cover it oh, yeah. already. But this introduction, I mean, this is a lot. <laughs> he he starts off, I want to apologize. Do we really need another book for men? I'm like, you could have stopped right there. <laughs> like, you know. You know that the world doesn't need this book. <laughs> right. Right. You even said and then it. He, nope. You just said it. And then he like, you know, gives his premise. And I guess, you know, we're going to get into all this, but men long for adventures and a battle and a beauty. And God made them just like that. And women long for, of course, the, the counterparts of this to be fought for, to be swept up into adventure and to be the beauty with a capital B. It's just like, it's so, it's like, the, the thesis statement is wrong. And so anything you write from here on out, it's going to be like, you can't, you can't build anything on this. You know, it's like, there's so many problems with it. And then the, um, the, my favorite part is when he talks about the fruit of his book, where he's like, what is the fruit? What does it leave in its wake? And I'm like, I'll tell you the destruction that it has left in my life in its wake. But he's like, I'm humbled to say the fruit of this book has been, well, unlike anything I've ever seen. I'm like, this is a citation needed. Like, where? Healed the lives of prisoners in Colombia, set the hearts of Catholic priests free in Slovakia. What? All around the world, it has reached the halls of Congress and the back rooms of homeless shelters. Bitch, where? What are you talking about? Like, this is literally all just like... Well, look at the fruit. Uh, I'll tell you what the fruit is. Yeah. Craziness. Here, and, and like you said, like, Colombia, Slovakia, the halls of Congress, restored families of men in Australia. This is all around the world. I know. There's no way to prove this. I don't know where you're pulling this from. Like, there's no way to prove it. And it's also, there's, it's interesting that there are no examples from right here at home. Like, <laughs> you're right. going all over the world and you think that's a flex. Right. So strange. Like he's literally, I mean, it's gotta be, he's listening, he's listing the places that he's, you know, gone on book tours or whatever, you know, like Colombia, Slovakia, and he clearly does think it's a flex. And I'm like, all that I see is you are around the world preaching your gospel of masculinity. And I don't right. see that as a, a net positive for the world. <laughs> no. I don't see that as a positive thing for Colombia and Slovakia. No. And it's, I mean, to me, this book, both these books are works of fiction. You are just, <laughs> you're making things up. Yes. And you're saying anything. You can say anything. Prisoners in Colombia. <laughs> I have questions. How did this, so it was translated? You had to translate it? You had to translate it and then you, you were in prison. These, he right. is pulling these things just from somebody in, in a meeting one day was like, oh, we just sent a shipment of books to prisoners in yes. Colombia. And he yes. said, write that down this, this <laughs> put the put a pin on the map this got to yeah. the prisoners in Colombia, and it must have changed their lives surely because surely uh, humbly this book <laughs> is is utterly phenomenal so yeah it, it must have done some things mm -hmm. but it's like how did how did that work how did that happen so many questions 
so many questions. Yeah, nothing, nothing but questions. Nothing but questions. And you know, and he set himself up for this by saying, you know, them by their fruits. But again, you're not asking for fruit right mm-hmm. here. This this mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna like it, John. And you're I not gonna know. like it. I really, when I read that, he was like, "Well, Jesus gave us a beautiful and a simple test for the measure of anything," and I was like, "He sure did." And this is your fruit, buddy. <laughs> And this is it. Yeah, because you also, you can't, fruit takes a while, right? I mean, Christians mm-hmm. love to talk about that, right? Like, you can't, you can grow, what is it, mushrooms you can grow overnight, but, you know, mm, Christians love so trees. True. They love trees. They love, you know, fruit, and that, that doesn't happen overnight. It takes, it takes years, sometimes mm-hmm. decades. And so mm-hmm. here we are, John. You don't get to say, hey, I planted this tree, and look at this fruit. There is no fruit yet, buddy. This is yep. it. Yep, that is so true. And it might look healthy at first, but you got to wait. You got to wait and find out. You got to wait because even the parable of, you know, the sower, right? Mm-hmm. He goes out and, and they love mm-hmm. that too. And, you know, the stats mm-hmm. are it was only 25% or whatever. But for a long time, it all looks the same. Like you can't tell mm-hmm. what it's going to be. So, yeah, yeah, you've had great fruit, John, because you have gotten rich <laughs> off this book. You got to write another book. You've been platformed. Mm-hmm. For you, wonderful. Mm-hmm. For the rest of the world, not so much. Yeah, and I think that like there's probably also been good fruit for cisgender men who have never really had to question their fundamental identities, the fundamental aspects of their identity. And they read this and they relate to it because it's, you know, it's just based on sort of broad stereotypes. And this is where I'm like, he touches on things that are like almost accurate, you know? If this is your introduction to the concept of therapy and recovery from trauma, then yeah, that will be a good thing for you. You're like, oh, I have a wound from my childhood. I need to like examine that and heal from it. Well, okay, sure. That is a good, that is a good premise. So, you know, there is a select group of people who fit the way that they've been socialized. They've been told you're a man and they feel like a man and, but they have these wounds, you know, sure. It's, it, it would be, it would look like good fruit for them, but I would argue that it's still not good fruit because it's only based on, it's going to drive you deeper into the stereotype. And there's more to you than that. If you can actually just broaden your mind a little bit and, and, allow your full humanity to come out you know it's not even just you know straight cis men it is straight white yes. cis men it's for them and i wish if if this book did drive men to therapy i'd be like okay good but this book doesn't like it's not it's not anti therapy but it's okay. sort of a replacement for therapy it's like this is all you need just read this book and you'll be fine you don't actually need a professional to like work with you one-on-one and help you work through this right. stuff this is all you need and this book is is dangerous because mm-hmm. this this book has such such a low view of humanity christianity evangelicalism has a low view of humanity yeah. anyway but this book has such a low view of of men and women mm-hmm. hates women but mm-hmm. it basically to me, I'm like, oh, it just tells men that pretty much the things that are wrong with you, so your most violent tendencies, that's who you actually are. And the mm-hmm. problem is that Christianity, society has told you to calm down and yeah. you need to be allowed to be that and do that yeah. and not feel bad about that. Yeah. And that is so dangerous so for dangerous. everybody else involved. Mm-hmm. 
so dangerous. I mean, we can jump into these incredibly revealing stories he tells about his family. The one about like, what kind of car do you want? So his kids are like talking about what kind of car they're going to get. And they're like, oh, I want a Humvee or a motorcycle. And they go, what do you think, Dad? And he goes, I'd go with the Humvee. We can mount a machine gun on top. Yeah. And then his wife says, they'll go, what about you, Mom? What kind of car do you want to have? And she goes, you know you know what she said? A safe one. So um, <laughs> so you're fantasizing. You're having war fantasies with your children. Yeah. And you're sort of like chuckling at your wife in this very condescending way of like, oh, she just wants us to Poor be dumb, safe. dumb wife. <laughs> <laughs> Like a machine gun? Like, I don't know. I mean, I get that there's there's roughhousing and that's fine. Kids do have a lot of like fighting and war and Star Wars and like lightsabers and like they love to play that way and it's not bad to encourage it, but like a fucking machine gun? That's what you're contributing to the conversation? Like, let's get a car with a machine gun on top? It's just so violent and like you're actually putting it in real life. This is not a game. It's like, what kind of car do you want to have when you grow up? A Humvee with a machine gun on top? I'm pretty anti-gun, but like, if you grew up in Michigan and your dad takes you hunting or whatever, like, I, I get it. There is like things that you can do that are not right. so violent, but a fucking machine gun? Like, and, and what? I mean, this book is obsessed with, with war and war imagery and this idea of, of men as warriors. And again, he gets so close in so many ways. Because like, yeah. imagine, imagine if evangelical men put all this energy to fighting systemic things. Yeah. If you put all this yeah. energy into, no, we have to be vigilant against the patriarchy. We have to be vigilant yes. against the history of this country and this nationalism mm-hmm. and this racism. Like, let's put energy into that. But I'm like, mm-hmm. who, who are you fighting? Who is this machine gun yeah. aimed at? So because... true. He spends so much time talking about how men need a battle in this mm-hmm. chapter anyway he does not tell us who we're fighting right. who are we battling against and also i don't know this concept that i mean this whole premise men need a battle an adventure and a beauty like we're removing like not even like i don't that's such a it's such a weird way to say this a beauty it's like dehumanized beauty. just mm-hmm. any old beauty mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm like a battle I've never in my life wanted a battle. Like you want conflict. You right. want that's to not, be. You don't have to want that. It's going to come. It's going to happen. <laughs> so nobody has to wake right. up and say, dang, you know what I wish for today? I hope somebody wants to fight. Right. Over something. It's just wild. And like that opposition, like that, why a battle, you know, adventure, I can at least a little bit get behind. It's like, you want to want to you know go on a quest or go on like a you know you want to do something with purpose you know personally still don't relate i don't need an adventure in my life (laughs) i need some peace and quiet i'm like i don't and this has been true like every time i hear evangelical pastors they love the epic adventure language you know Mm -hmm. they love lord of the rings they love these quest tales they love like all this stuff and it's like every time i've heard it in a sermon truly i'm just kind of like oh no i I don't want that they're like don't you want an epic life like no epic no no quiet and meaningful sure (laughs) like you know beautiful and artistic and lovely connections with my friends yes epic no i don't (laughs) Do we need epic? But is that you or is that your wound? That's my wound. (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, and that's where it's like, it really does get in your head because that's what I asked myself for so many years. Is this part of me that I haven't unlocked yet because I'm, you know, I'm wounded and I haven't whatever, you know, it's like, it's so, it's so gaslighty. It makes you just question everything, you know? Well, also because it puts everything is in such boxes. If adventure is, I have to go out into the wilderness or I have to go to war or whatever. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But it's adventurous for me working on music. It's Mm -hmm. adventurous for me figuring out a new route. That's Uh, true. How can I get downtown faster? How can Mm -hmm. I you know, do it or like, yeah, we all true. have adventures. We all have things that challenge us and make us feel mm-hmm. more alive or that scare us. Right. Or like, yeah. Oh my goodness. Like going, I would say, you know, getting dolled up and going to the Met, that's mm-hmm. your adventure. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's true. That's these true. Are the things that make us come alive. You can't put a box around and say, no, this is what yeah. adventure for men looks like. This is what adventure for women looks like. And that's what this So you're touching on two things. Number one, he only deals with these things in the most simplistic terms. Like, yes, if you're talking about adventure in those broad terms that you're thinking about, like facing challenges and what makes us come alive, absolutely. But he do, it's like only the most simplistic versions of all of these things. And number two, what you said is we all have these things. And that's my second question where I'm like, why is it gendered? Why is this all about men? Like, there's so many things in here where he's like, you know, boys just need to wrestle. And I'm like, I don't know, my niece loves to wrestle. And like, my sisters loved to wrestle when we were growing up. Like, we all, literally all of us would wrestle my dad. And it was, it was so fun. It was like, it was just kids like to wrestle. What do you mean boys like to wrestle, you know? And it's just like, everything is so gendered. And it's like, these are just human experiences. Like, why, why are you extrapolating all of this, you know, about gender? Yeah. And he, you know, he starts out with the story of Adam's fall is every man's story. It is simple and straightforward, almost mythic in its brevity and depth. And then I realized that it is mythic. It this literally is, is mythic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even this, it's a poem. It's a, it's a mythic poem. That's the story of Genesis is like literally a mythic poem. Yeah. And so you are going to take all of this, everything that he built out, he says, oh, you know, look at how movies are written. Look how the Bible is written. And it's written because this is how things are. I'm like, no, it's written because this is how things were. And this (laughs) is what they saw and what they knew. But that doesn't mean that this is the world as it's supposed to be. Yeah. And so that's the thing. It's very isn't even that gendered to begin with, but he makes it that. It's very uncritical because even when he stumbles on something that might be accurate. So he's like, there's this pattern among men. They tend to do this. Like there was a one part where he's like, men have a way of affirming each other without looking like we're affirming each other. And then he writes, men rarely praise each other directly as women do. Ted, I absolutely love your shorts. You look terrific today. And I'm like, he wrote that as if it's supposed to be very clear, I guess, that a man would never say that. And I'm like, two things. I I talk like that. There's so many men who talk like that who don't have this whatever insecurity about affirming people directly. You can you can affirm other men directly. It's it's okay. But number two, even if that is like an accurate pattern among men, he doesn't ask why. Why is that the case? He just says, This is how you are. And that's the dangerous part. There's nothing about socialization. There's nothing about how you are taught to be. And there's nothing about, is this how we want to be? Are these good patterns among men? Because yeah, there are, like he's, he is accurately noticing patterns, but like, are they good patterns? Right. 
Right. And, and even, how did they get to be that, this way? Because he says, oh, you know, I absolutely love your shorts. So then the, the example he gives is that, no, we praise indirectly by way of common. Whoa, nice shot, Ted. You got a wicked swing today. I said, well, that's still women. I'm not my shorts. So yet still <laughs> indirect. Like if you're saying that to me, whoa, you know, and like women... We just have more freedom to compliment right. whoever about whatever. But like right. a direct thing would actually be like, no, Joey, I love, I just love your spirit. Mm -hmm. I, I love that you're able to be so free now. Yeah. I just really, I just really appreciate you. And I'm glad you're in my mm -hmm. life. Like that's, yeah. that's direct stuff. Right. But like <laughs> to say that like women are out here and we're just, oh, just because I, it's, it's easier for us to be like, oh no, I really like that outfit with men or women. Mm -hmm. Again, this comes back to socialization and just the rules mm -hmm. of society and what we're allowed to say yeah. and do. No, 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 Janice. It's innate. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how you are. It is how God made you. And it's just like, ah, ah. I know. <laughs> and the book, and I mean, the book is full of that. And the chapter is just, yeah, here's an example of how things are and that, and they are this way because they are this way and that's the way it's mm -hmm. supposed to be. Yeah. And it's like, it's, if anything, it's more dangerous that way because this is the kind of gaslighty part. If you are being compelled by this, if you're being convinced that this is accurate, and if you're sort of looking around and saying, oh, yeah, well, that is kind of how men act, and I, I do see these things, then you can kind of buy into the idea that he discovered this. It's he's discovering a truth as opposed to writing fiction you know, he's not making something up. He's just, these are the truths. These are the God-given truths about gender. And so that's, that's the really damaging part. I mean, this is also like, this is just how spiritual abuse works, where come, someone comes with spiritual authority and says, this is the truth. This is how things are. I didn't create this. I just discovered it. I'm just passing along the biblical truths, you know? Right. And it's so flimsy. It's like the, the story of Adam's fall is every man's story. The outcome is always the same, a wound in the soul. How did you get that from Adam? From Adam. And again, why? What did Jesus do then? <laughs> what good was it? If we are all still five minutes from the garden, yeah. nothing that has been done between Adam and Eve and now has made any difference. You are yeah. going to be born in the same fallen state, prone to the same fallen wounds. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing you can do until you get a hold of this book. And then... Yeah. Uh, thoughts mm -hmm. and prayers. Yeah. But yeah, so we all got we all got wounded from Adam, Adam and Eve, what they did. And then talks about to understand how a man receives a wound, you have to understand the central truth of a boy's journey to manhood, masculinity is bestowed. Yes, so this is another spot where I'm like, you are actually correct. Your interpretation is whack, but you are correct. Masculinity is made up. So it has to be bestowed. It, there's no other way to get it. It is bestowed. It's indoctrinated. That's the that's how we have masculinity. So yes, that's right. And it's like it's almost like he almost comes close to like gender dysphoria because he's like until a man knows he's a man, he will forever be trying to prove he is one while at the same time shrinking away from anything that might reveal he is not. Most men live their lives haunted by the question or crippled by the answer they've been given. It's like, yeah, okay, if the people around you are not affirming the gender that you are, that's going to feel very destabilizing. And mm -hmm. you're not going to, like, you're going to be trying to recover from that. But of course, he doesn't get there. It's like so close, you know? It's like, 
yes, we all want to be perceived as the gender that we are. We want to be affirmed in that, you know, but the, all the interpretation from there, it's like, yeah, masculinity is bestowed. And it's not just because this is a made up set of traditions that we have created in our culture. It's because this is God's plan for humanity. Right. Which we're not going to look at how masculinity has changed Mm -hmm. over the course of history. No, Mm -hmm. we're just going to look at this little white slice of American life. We're not going to look at how masculinity is different across the globe, even today, and how it's different in cultures that don't have Christian patriarchy as such a strong example. Right. Or the even like the kind of will broaden it to the Judeo-Christian, not that I'm gonna get out of my lane here and talk about other religions because lord knows i don't know anything but there is like these patriarchal norms that i think there is like a judeo-christian kind of theme that you can see in a lot of cultures and the ones that don't have that sometimes have very different ideas of what it means to be a man and the very fact that there are different ideas has to clue you in to the fact that it's not fixed it's not something that just exists that god just created and we all live by it you know it's, it's culture. Yeah, and something that is fascinating to me, um, even right now, like we're having all these conversations since 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 the election and the, <laughs> the red wave that wasn't. The failed um, red wave. And yeah, and so so many people blaming single women, blaming the youths. But also like in this book, he talks about basically, you know, the feminization of Christianity. And, and I'm like, how? Because women have never been in charge of the church. Women are all throughout the mm. church, yes. And mm. the head of all the children's church and the committees and, and whatever. And we are usually the higher population in church, but it's always men in leadership. And so it's, it's run by the men. To me. Yeah. So to blame the feminization mm. of church to blame the feminization of society on women like how is this working because we've never had the power yeah. to do that so if yeah. masculinity is suffering or it's not what it's supposed to be i don't know what y- what all what more y'all want because mm-hmm. you're in charge of it you've been in charge <laughs> <laughs> you've been running it and this is how it's gone which says so to true. me the standard you guys are shooting for or whatever you think it's supposed to be, it doesn't exist because you are in power. You have had the power to, to construct all these constructs and they're not coming out the way that you want because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. There's some stuff about, there's some pretty anti-woman stuff. Oof. The whole thing about moms smothering and emasculating their sons That's Mm -hmm. pretty wild. I mean, so that's when he gives us the story about the Humvee and Mm -hmm. the idea that the mom wants her son to have a safe, non-violent car that's not designed for war is an example of emasculating him. There's another one where, like, his kid hit... They're wrestling and his kid hits him in the face and draws blood. And he goes, whoa, nice shot. And, And he sees that as a win. Like, he's like... At first, my son drew back in fear, waiting, I'm sorry to admit, for my anger. Okay, this is all, that's quite revealing in and of itself. But thankfully, on this occasion, I just wiped the blood away, smiled. On this occasion. On this occasion, usually I rage at my child, but today, I was patient and I said, whoa, nice shot. He beamed. No, he strutted. Strutted. Shook Shook his antlers. antlers. (laughs) 
word quickly spread through the house. New possibilities opened up. Maybe young bucks can take on the old bull. And I'm like, it's so violent. Like, it's instead of like a lesson of like, oh, you know, that's okay. Sometimes we go too far and we accidentally hurt each other, you know, but daddy's okay. Like, we'll just clean it up, you know. Instead of that, he's like, great job, son. <laughs> now you all know you can kill me someday. You can take <laughs> exactly. over because there can only be one. You know? Exactly. So wild. And all, there can only be one. Wow, that's dark. But it's true. It's like the power struggle. Like, come on. Yeah. And it like, it doesn't he have to all, be. I know it doesn't. He used all this to like talk about the dangers of a smothering mother. Mm-hmm. And basically he's like, if a boy doesn't break away from his bond with his mother, it's emotional incest. And I'm like, I get very triggered by this because this is this is the working theory that evangelicals have about being gay. If you have an absent father or an overbearing mother, this is what turns you gay. And there's essentially no clinical research that backs this up. There are some even secular psychiatrists who have supported this theory. I have questions for them. But like they just have this idea that it's like the mother who bonds with her son too much you'll make him gay you know the funny thing is the the scripture that he uses to back this up doesn't support him at all he says this is why scripture says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife unlike his father and his mother what are you talking about this has nothing to do with the mom so you like you're creating this very harmful theory about women and you know those silly over emotional women who emasculate their sons and then you can't even like there's no evidence for that in scripture so of course you can't find anything but you're like this is why a man will leave his father and mother that's just growing up leave his father and his mother yes (laughs) when you grow up you leave both of them not just the mom just the mom but he it was the mothers and sons section where i wrote because he talks about and again it's this idea of like there can only be one Mm. This is a very hard time in a mother's life when the father replaces her as the son of the boy's universe. It is part of Eve's sorrow, this letting go, this being replaced. Few mothers do it willingly, very few do it well. And that's why I wrote, oh, this book hates women. (laughs) Listen, I get it. (laughs) I have mother issues. We probably all have mother issues. I I think a lot of it stems from evangelicalism and just the kind of the thought of ownership i feel like too many christian parents feel like they own their mm. children and they're like mm. have have this i mean all children have a all parents have a stake in their children's mm-hmm. future and want to see them do well but like mm-hmm. when you have these boxes and you have mm. these are the things that i train up a child in the way they should go mm-hmm. this is the way you should go and i've put all this effort and all this energy into directing you to being the mm-hmm. type of person you should be and so now it's not even that my mom can't let go of me it's like you can't let go of that image that mm-hmm. that idea that you had mm-hmm. so we have conflict because i feel like you don't accept me as as an adult like as a fully mm-hmm. fledged person who's right. different from you but like that's different from mothers just like not wanting to let go of their children and and also like you're a woman like he's had this whole theory that it's only with boys that they can't let go or they can't they right. like what they're smothering them and i'm like you're you, everyone has issues with their parents. It's, a, it's not about gender, you know? Right. It's another, like, my my niece has kind of always been a daddy's girl. 
and my her you know my sister her mom will joke about it where you know when especially when she was younger it was always like oh daddy's her favorite you know like you know and like there was it was very harmless there was nothing meant by it you know but it was just kind mm-hmm. of like yeah sometimes kids bond with one parent or another and it's not about like this this whole narrative that it's like you have to bond with the mother and then you have to leave the mother and, and then you like you have to leave her and yeah so it's like what where do you where do you get all this stuff and then like you you know i don't know it's like yes if your goal is the same sex parent will indoctrinate their child into what it means to be them sure then yes this is the way to do it like if you start from that premise the father has to indoctrinate the son and the mother has to indoctrinate the daughter, then yeah, I guess this is the most logical way to do it. But if you're just talking about what like child development and how it goes, you're reaching. Right. And it, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. But like, it would seem to me, if you are a boy and you're super attached to your mom, like, I don't understand like why that would make you gay. Like, why would that not translate to you wanting to be around women even more and like loving I know. women? I know. Even and there's more. so many like, examples where a guy, a guy's like, oh, yeah, I was a total mommy's boy, you know, and, and straight. <laughs> like, it's fine. It's, it can happen. I don't know. I think I think it's a way of people kind of like patting themselves on the back for like, if I'm straight, then I must have had that's that's a plus for my parents. They did it right. And it's mm. like, no, statistically, that was just probably how it was going to work out yeah like you don't get like extra points because mm-hmm. straight kid means i did it yeah i did it right like yeah and the fascinating thing with with the whole gay stuff which i know that's not the focus of what he's talking about but like the the whole thing with like turning your kid gay and your relationship with your parent the really really dangerous and insidious part of that narrative is that it's very logical in a society of toxic masculinity, toxically masculine patriarchy, that a straight father is going to have a hard time connecting with a gay son. It's just that that's not the cause. That's not what made him gay. It's the result. You don't know how to talk to your sensitive, artistic, whatever child. And it's not about like, but it's so dangerous because so many gay men, especially you grow up in the church, you hear all these narratives and then you think, oh yeah, like, I guess I do feel really different from my straight hetero dad. You know, I guess like, yeah, I I did have trouble connecting with him. Like that's what made me gay, you know? And it's like, we just, you got it flipped, you know? Of course they had trouble connecting with you. They've never been given the emotional tools to connect with anyone. (laughs) Yeah. It's taking, taking the sickness and being like, no, this is the this is how it's supposed to be because yeah. this is how it's always been. And we're like, mm-hmm. no, it's like this because we're sick with it. But yes. We don't have to be. We don't have to be. We don't, we don't want to be. There's also the, on the topic of moms, there's that really wild story from the Bible that, let me try to find it. I had forgotten about this story, but the part about Rachel and Benjamin and Jacob, uh, Rachel gives birth to a boy and she's going to die. With her last breath, she names him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob intervenes and names him Benjamin, son of my right hand. This is a critical move when a boy draws his identity no longer from his mother, but from his father. Notice it took an active intervention by the man. It always does. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Hates women hates women hates them like this woman is dying yeah and she's she wants to name her child she this woman is dying from childbirth 
saying? And she wants to name her son. And the dad's like, just swoops in and says, no, no, no. Right. You silly woman <laughs> on your deathbed. I'll name that child. Thank you. Are you sad? <laughs> like what? <laughs> I'm not. Uh, so... <laughs> son of my right hand. Come on. Son of my right hand. Like, oh. Wild. And this is the blueprint. This is active intervention by a man. If you don't intervene, that woman's going to ruin your kid. Well, I mean, he's, he says it. He says, but if a mother will not allow her son to become dangerous, if she does not let the father take him away, she will emasculate him. We had that Mm -hmm. emotional incest part. Whatever the mother's failure, it can be overcome by the father's engagement. Like, this whole thing just just assumes dumb, stupid women, they're going to get it wrong. They're going to fail, and it is up to the man, only with boys, (laughs) to set it right. It's so, it's so bad. It's like the, whatever her failures, the man can fix it. Like, seriously? And only the man. And only the man. And then especially Especially, like when you you think about the Bible and like, I mean, people were dying young and so many stories of widows, so many single mothers, including Jesus's, right? Like Mm. we hear about Joseph in the beginning and then what happened to Joseph? We don't know. True. We don't know. There are so many, how many stories of like widowers? Like, mm. there's not many. There are widows. We're all, we're talking about mothers and ch- their children all the time. And there's so mm. many single women in the Bible. Like, women are raised, women can do it. They're fine. Mm. They've been raising people this whole time so and true. having to do it alone mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But now he wants to swoop in. And be like, no, no, like basically your job is to birth this baby. And then even if that kills you, yeah, you don't even, you can't, you can't be trusted to make a decision. It's just wild. It's wild, especially since like this book is written for men to read. So the women aren't even really given a chance to respond. Like they have captivating, so they'll go read that book. Mm-hmm. But this is what men are being taught about women. So they're going to come into the relationship with all this stuff that they've learned, not just about men, in quotes, but also about women, you know? And so the women don't get to, they don't even get, I mean, I'm sure that they get plenty of, of their own bullshit and captivating, but like they don't get the this perspective that so the so the man is just coming in. He's learning all this stuff about how it's your job to to swoop in and fix all of her silly woman mistakes. That's just the energy you're coming into the relationship with. You're expecting that, and it's like ugh, there's so many patterns when you see like young people in the church getting married, and they're like, well, you know, I I have to lead. I I'm the man. I I have to lead. I have to be a leader. And you see these poor women, and this is like actually one of my regrets in life that when I was in a church that really did not support women in leadership, I did not fully get it. And I didn't stand up for the people around me the way that I should have. Cause I had women friends who were coming to me and being like, yeah, you know, like I, I feel like I'm a good leader, but like, you know, I, I can't, I, you know, I I have to submit and I, I get that. And, and, and that's fine. There's like some spaces that I can like use my gifting, but like, can't really like, you know, I, I have to just find like how to do it, you know? And I, in my privilege, I was kind of like, oh, I mean, I guess so. Like, <laughs> I didn't even like fully process it. It's like, no girl, like, no, you're struggling for, for nothing. Of course you have a, a gift of leadership. Like go find somewhere that you can actually take charge. You're going to do it better than 
any of the clowns in this church, you know? Yeah. But it's like women are told that and the men are told that. So the men come in and they just, this is how marriage is supposed to work. This is how the church is supposed to work. Like the man has to, has to lead and has to cover over all the things. And the most extreme examples are like the man is actually responsible for the woman's salvation. Mm-hmm. Have you heard this? Oh, yeah. The most extreme examples, it's like, because, the, and there are some confusing passages where it talks about this stuff. And so the man comes into that marriage actually thinking, I'm going to have to stand before God on behalf of myself and my entire household. They are my responsibility. Right. Because they are, this is my property and yeah. I am responsible. It's so dehumanizing. It's like you don't have agency, you don't have any semblance of autonomy. No, no. And that's why this book is. Like you said, it's like this programming that's just running, running in the background. And so this book, nowhere in this book does it say, mm-hmm. let's go insurrect at the Capitol. Right. No, but this is part of that. This mm-hmm. is fed into that narrative, yeah. you know, and nowhere does it say, uh, no, captivating does say a little bit about abortion, but it's not a far cry to, to understand why women can't, they can't be trust decisions. Mm-hmm. Like, Mm-hmm. Here, if anything, here we've got the story of a woman dying in childbirth. Hey, sometimes you know it's so true. It's so true. So it's just what happens. You know, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. But like you know, you you don't get to choose your life over the life of the child. Right. <laughs> and even as you're giving your life, you don't get to choose his name. <laughs> you, know? you don't even get to. You don't even get to la- have a last thought. <laughs> right. Right. Awful. So, Awful. And it's yeah. like the, it's also just like, even that story, I'm like, I'm, I'm intrigued by that story and I'm confused by that story. But the interpretation of that story in this book and the context is so dangerous. I'm like, I want to read that story just for myself and kind of ask some of my own questions. Like what is happening here in this, di- this family dynamic, you know? Right. But the way that he, the conclusions that he draws from that story. They are wild. They're awful. Yeah, they're wild at heart. (laughs) (laughs) But like you said, like even wanting to look at that story, like what are these family dynamics? This book, different things in him and his wife's relationship. I'm like, oh, are you guys okay? But then also he talks, you know, he peppers in just these little details about his family. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't, you're not, I don't think you should have written this book because you've got some unaddressed trauma, some issues going on here. And, like, you're just casually, you know, dropping. I remember as a boy wanting my father to die. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And before that, you know, my relationship with my mother has never been good since. I'm like, what? What is happening here? You are writing this chapter about wounds from a lot of wounds. From a lot of wounds. And this is where he, once again, he gets so close. Because it's like, yes, I think you have correctly identified the sources of trauma in your life. But where you go from there, how you're working through them, it's just not, you're, you're, you're not doing a great job, to be honest. And you're certainly not in a place to tell anybody else how to do it. Like, you have, you're not, you have some work to do, my friend. And again, he, he applies, I mean, this whole book is just applying his life to everyone. And this is, this is just how it is. And yes, we all, probably everyone has some kind of tension with their parents. And it's not because they're your parents, it's just because they're people. Like, we all just have tension with other people. But mm-hmm. not every parent-child relationship is traumatic and awful mm-hmm. and something yeah. you have to recover from. That's yeah. not how it's supposed to be. And that's yeah. not... 
That's not everybody's experience. Yes. It's the pathologizing and creating a universal narrative based on just like literally your own experiences and like some guys that you talk to. <laughs> it just, number one, it, it doesn't have to be so simple. The whole end of the chapter where he talks to like, every man carries a wound. I have never met a man without one. No matter how good your life may have seemed to you, you live in a broken world. Why? Just why? It's because you, John Eldridge, have wounds and issues. Yes. And you are trying to say like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm fine. And here's why. And not only am I fine, this is what every man goes through. This is, you. my experiences are universal. You know, you know you have to be coming from a place of privilege to say my experiences are universal. You've never been in a room and thought, oh, my experiences are not universal. Right. <laughs> I'm not the default. I'm not the blueprint. <laughs> no, no, I am. And this, this book and Captivating do this a lot, but they will say, so he says there are two basic options. Men either overcompensate for their wound and become driven, violent men, or they shrink back and go passive, retreating men. Often it's an odd mixture of both. You can't say there are two options and then say it's a mixture of both. That's everyone. That's everything. <laughs> That's so true. And also like... This is stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. Also like there's, there's options beyond that. There's different <laughs> options too. Like everything in between and everything different. Like what do you mean? No, he said you were either violence or you were either beating someone up or you're getting beat up. And that's it. There is no, or a mixture of both. So everything in the middle. <laughs> that's everything. What are you saying? Yeah. What? Wild. And then right before that, like he tells the story of his friend, Sam, whose father committed suicide. He says that the effect was another sort of vow. I will never do anything even remotely dangerous or risky or wild. And I'm like, wait, suicide is a very different thing from, that's not dangerous, that's not risky, that's not wild. Like, I could right. see making that vow off of, oh, my father got drunk, or maybe not even got drunk, but he just loved to drive fast and he right. went off a cliff. Like, something happened. That's right. where you make that kind of vow, but to say, like, so I'm like, so wait, is suicide wild? Is this part of being yeah. wild at heart? You are making connections and... Just these things are not, this is not that. And I don't, I don't know why you put this here. It's like, once again, it's like, there are lessons that you learn in childhood. This is true. There are things that you go through that affect you, but it doesn't fit into your box. Like there's a lot of different ways that we are affected by our parents and our peers and the people around us, but it's, it doesn't fit into your framework. And like, yes, that is something that Sam has to grapple with. Just like all of us, we have things like that, you know, especially if it is actually traumatic. Your father committing suicide, that's traumatic, you know, for a child to go through that. So yes, you will have some recovery to do from that. You'll have some things that you need to learn and some things you need to unlearn. You know, you will form false messages inside of you based on this experience and you'll have to let go of some of those things. It's just that there's there's more ways to do it than the simple options that you're giving us. And also, um, not everyone has the simple options that you're giving us. Like we, I don't, I didn't have anyone close to me commit suicide, you know? And the particular examples that I've been through are not the same. Like 
I don't know. Like, what's that? What is that drive to be universal and to like make it this simple well, your narrative? Your wound is the wrong wound. That's a wound in itself. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> egotistical. Like, <laughs> you are at the center of everything. You're at the center yeah. of every story. You are at the center of every theory about mankind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he would say, listen. I have been the main character in every story of my life. And so that is the way God designed it. And mm-hmm. that is also as it should be for you. Mm-hmm. I should also be the main character in the story of your life. <laughs> so you would oh. do well to live your life as me. I mean, so one of the main questions that I have about his basic theory is, and he doesn't get into it in this chapter. I'm curious. I can't wait to listen to the podcast and find out if he gets to it in the rest of the book. But what does he have to say to men and boys who are who don't relate, who are not looking for a battle to fight, who are not looking for an adventure to live in the way that he describes it, and who are not looking for a beauty to love? Like the third one, I've always taken such issue with this because... I love beautiful things. I feel like my mission in life is to create beautiful things. Like that's part of what I love about writing music, taking photos, like everything that I do, I'm drawn to beauty. But I feel like I hold beauty. I am beautiful. And that's part of the reason that I'm like finding so much joy and so much freedom in the way that I dress and the way that I express myself. People have always told me that beauty is a feminine characteristic. People will, like, literally, I heard someone talk talk about gender roles based on Genesis, of course, because they always are. And they were like, Eve is beautiful, Eve is whatever. And I was like, where the fuck does it say that? Like, where you're literally, what are you talking, like, you, you're starting from a premise that I don't agree with, and then you're giving evidence that's not there. So it's like, what do you, like, what do you say to, to boys who feel like they carry beauty? Like, they are beautiful. And of course they are. We all know that they are. Even when you grow up, it's like, even the, like the indoctrinated evangelicals will say things like, oh, he has beautiful eyes or he like, whatever, you know, it's like, we know that men are, can, can be beautiful. So it's like, what do you have to say to anybody who doesn't fit into your theories? Right. Including your own God, because you are ascribing, he's basically splitting God down the middle. Here are the male attributes of God and they're mostly male Mm -hmm. and a few little female you know mm-hmm. over here the women are all this and men are all this but then this this wild world that you want to go adventure into yeah. and you love the beauty of the stars and nature and blah blah god did that but right. like this super hyper masculine god yeah made beautiful things right are you gonna you, you don't think god is beautiful right. like does that <laughs> affront your masculinity right and if he is, it's like you don't reflect those qualities of God, a man made in God, God's image. Like you don't reflect, you don't carry the beauty. You don't reflect the beauty of creation and, and all of that. Right. And like God is so, so it's not about, not about spirit. It's not about soul. It is literally about this stupid dust body <laughs> and the penis he put on it or didn't. And that, from that springs everything. Yeah. He's like, oh, we put a cap on it, so it has to be, (laughs) it has to fall in line with this list. It sure does. And then the women who, the women who have no desire to be beautiful, 
beauty with a capital B as defined by, let's be real, as defined by the straight, white, male, cisgender gaze. Beauty, which really means attractiveness to me. Yep. <laughs> like, there's no other, there's no broader types of beauty. It's just, you know, women want to be the beauty. Where? Where? Where are you getting this? Where are you getting this from? Right. Because as we all know, Bible clearly states that Eve's first words were, do you think I'm pretty? <laughs> <laughs> and Eve and Adam's first words to her were, you are so beautiful. <laughs> it wasn't bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We are the same. We are right. connected. We are the same. It wasn't the points of similarities and the ways in which we are actually kindred. We are we are truly right. the same. It is the sameness that makes us connect. No, it was, nope. it was, you are the beauty I have been longing for. Yeah, I have been, yeah, yeah. And of course, when, when the serpent comes and tempts Eve, this fruit, this will make you beautiful. Yeah. That. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, none of it's there. Like, where are you getting this? And this is actually a big thing in like queer theology. People are like, even if we're going to take the story of Adam Eve as prescriptive, which I don't believe it to be. It's a myth. It is a poem. It is maybe it does carry some truths about humanity. Like there's some lessons to learn or whatever. But like, even if you're going to be so literal and take it as prescriptive, it is literally the sameness that is called out in the text. Like not the difference. You are so different from me. I've never seen anything like you because you're so different. But what he literally says is we are the same and that's why we connect. So it's like the idea that a same-sex couple can't reflect God's beauty or God's love or whatever. They're like, literally, we're following the text. Like we are, it is our sameness, it is our similarities. It is our sameness as humans, not even as, as you know, sexual, sex partners, you know. That's not all there is. Like, that's not all there is. That's not all it's about. That's all I it's know. about for him. But like, I know, and they say about. that they say that it's the gays who make sexuality their whole identity. I mean, this book is <laughs> you are this nothing more than the most basic, most you know, worst parts <laughs> of socialized masculinity. Yeah, that's it. Like you said, because it is yes. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And like, you have to remember this came just after Adam has spent, we don't know how long, looking mm -hmm. at all these animals, naming all these animals, so seeing everything and seeing that they have their thing. And like, you know what? I have a cat and I love my cat, mm. but she's not the same as me. Mm -hmm. And so it would just be such a wonder to be like, oh, yeah, here is something like me. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. that's it. That's the beauty yeah. of it. It's not about, yeah. Oh, and she's hot. Like, <laughs> yeah. you've literally never seen another person. Mm -hmm. like, you don't know. even know what hot is. Right? <laughs> yeah. But that's, uh, that's wild at heart. Eldridge is doing his thing and no one can stop him. So looking at this book from the perspective that everything is permissible, he's allowed to write this book. But not everything is beneficial. Gail from 1 to 10. 10, super beneficial. This is... This is creation. This is where it all begins, and everyone needs this. <laughs> Down to one. This is Noah allowing roaches onto the ark. <laughs> How not beneficial at all. Where would you put this book? Yeah, it's harmful for everyone. <laughs> harmful for everyone. 
Because, like, even as I was reading, I was trying to think about it, and I was like, there, like I said, there will be some cisgender men who have not had to question these fundamental aspects of their identity, cisgender straight white men who have had not had to question these fundamental aspects of their identity. They have not had to ask these questions, and this could help them, like, get into therapy or get into the, at least start to explore, like, the things that they've been through, the wounds from their childhood, you know, that's not bad in and of itself. But I'm like, when your premise is so flawed, you cannot be of use even to the people that it would be the most useful for. And when, and not to mention when you're telling them this book is all you need, like this will guide you. And, and I have a workbook, by the way. So buy the workbook and don't just read it, but go through the workbook and like, complete the questionnaire you know and then you'll be you'll be fine you know this is this this will transform your life this is good fruit you know sorry baby that's that's harmful for everyone <laughs> there's no good there's no good that can come from that no no and definitely not enough not enough to justify because the one out of two thousand men that will say oh i should go to therapy i yeah. can make up for the it's not 1999 say <laughs> i need a machine gun um be <laughs> yeah it's just wild instead of wild at heart what is something an activity book movie anything that wild that you would recommend octavia e butler <laughs> so i just finished um parable of the sower and parable of the talents they are required reading i mean it's been on my list for a long time but i finally got to it they are they should be taken together and it's a difficult read in the sense that it does talk about things that are very difficult. I guess I'm gonna give a special trigger warning if you're black and if you're a woman or like, there's some things that, you know, you gotta, there's trauma in these books. But I'd say, especially for white people, it's required reading. And it's like, what what I think is wild about it. And I mean, I also read her Xenogenesis series, which is more science fiction-y. It leans more into kind of like, aliens and stuff like that and what is wild to me is one i mean she's just brilliant so the way that she writes the way that she draws you in and the way that she makes you start thinking about things is just brilliant and 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 very like intense but in the best way but also the way that she writes about god it's just it's things that i've never thought about before and they are like it's it's shifting my whole paradigm about spirituality and about like you know all, all the things that I've thought about God and the way the, the wildly different ways that there are to think about these things you know I think that in in evangelical Christianity God is very narrow it's very specific he is very specific you know and it's like we put it, they wouldn't really think about it this way they wouldn't admit it but they put restraints on God and so this is helping me just take some of those restraints off that God is so much bigger than that narrow version of him. And one more thing, Adrienne Marie Brown has a podcast that she started with Toshi Regan in, during the pandemic called um, Octavia's Parables, where they go chapter by chapter and they do both parable books. I think that they they've have many seasons by now, so they might also do Kindred. I don't know what else they do, but they dive in and go and they just listening to them. So I finished the books and now I'm finally listening to the podcast. So I'm going back through all the old episodes, just listening to them kind of break it down to like brilliant organizers and artists what does this book mean to them and why and pulling out the themes of all of that it's it's really really good 
if you're if you're up for a deep dive do the book and then do the podcast <laughs> nice deep dives on good books imagine on good imagine. books mm-hmm. <laughs> well joey thank you so much any any closing thoughts anything wanted to say didn't get to say have to say uh no i love you thank you for the thank you for this keep you. doing what thank you're doing you so much yeah I, I can't help it i was raised to be this uh, just on the opposite <laughs> side they created it's a monster so true. <laughs> <laughs> they created a monster <laughs> that's so true they have nobody to blame but themselves they gave us all the tools taught us how to be annoying AF mm-hmm. and stand by <laughs> what we believe so mm-hmm. here we are amen and in closing on and on it goes the wound comes and with it a message from that place the boy makes a vow chooses a way of life that gives rise to the false self at the core of it all is a deep uncertainty the man doesn't live from a center so many men feel stuck either paralyzed and unable to move or unable to stop moving of course every little girl has her own story too but i want to save that for a later chapter and bring it together with how a man fights for a woman's heart let me say a few more words about what happens to a man after the wound is given so it was in this chapter that i finally understood this book well not the book because the book is ununderstandable because it is stupid and awful and not a bit of it is worth the time that it wastes what i finally understood is where it was coming from and that place i believe is a place of hate and that hate is directed at women which is like the worst evangelical plot twist ever because it is so fucking cliche it's like the butler did it and the butler is always misogyny So we all knew there was going to be a butler in this book. I guess maybe I was just hoping the book would have a surprise ending or maybe try to keep the mystery going, but nope. Right here in the fourth chapter, it just slipped right on out. And I remember getting to the part on the fifth page where it talks about women having to let go of their sons and accept being replaced by the fathers, and it says, Few mothers do it willingly, very few do it well. When I read that, I literally said out loud, Oh! This book hates women, and it does. This chapter is all about the wound that every man allegedly has, and according to John, that wound is allegedly nearly always given to a man by his father. But then John goes out of his way to blame mothers for being emotionally incestuous and ruining men by calling them sweetheart and wanting them to be safe. He says that men have to be allowed to take their sons away to bestow masculinity upon them. And I love, oh, I love what Joey said about that. Yes, it does take masculinity to bestow masculinity because it's all made up. Almost as made up as this stupid ass book that can't keep its stupid ass story straight. Hashtag undertones because this book is homoerotic as fuck. And that is fine. If you are a man who loves men, go with God and be who God made you to be and love who God made you to love. But you can love men without shitting on women. Although, honestly, I don't know why you would. Not not shit on women. I don't know why anyone would love men based on this chapter. Every man in this chapter is trash. They're either chewing glass, calling their sons names, wishing their fathers would die, blaming their fathers for dying, or dreaming of adding machine guns to the top of their vehicles. And I get it, this chapter is all about the wound, so it has to go out of its way to show how men get hurt by men, but I just, I I have questions, lots of questions. But only one really matters when it comes to this evangelical mess, since it is, after all, allegedly an evangelical book. Where the fuck is Jesus? 
He makes a brief appearance in this chapter in a convoluted section where John is talking about how important it is for men to name and bless their sons. John says, After he is baptized in the Jordan, before the brutal attack on his identity in the wilderness, his father speaks, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased, Luke 3.22. In other words, Jesus, I am deeply proud of you, you have what it takes. In other words, in other words, John, if that's what God wanted to say, I think God would have said that, but fine. Let's pretend that's exactly what God wanted to say to Jesus in that moment. Isn't the whole point of evangelicalism that Jesus lived and died so that God could say that to all of us? So that Jesus could reverse the curse and heal the wound that Adam caused? Why, why is this book? And why is this book written to and for Christian men so obsessed with where Adam went wrong? And what does John have to say to Jesus and about Jesus as a man whose story is so dependent on and connected to women? I've said before that I feel bad for John Eldridge, and I did, but not anymore. Now it's just pure dislike. This is a damaged man doing damage to keep from having to admit or deal with how damaged he is. This is a man who says he remembers being a boy and wanting his father to die who says his mother became clingy when he was a teenager and that they haven't had a good relationship since, and whose own sons took delight in trying to hurt him and took pride when one of them drew blood. The first story he tells in this chapter is about going rock climbing with his boys and how he was encouraging one of them. And one of the encouraging things he said was, you're a wild man. And later on, his son asked him if he really meant it. Did you really think I was a wild man up there? He did not ask. Do you think I am a nice boy? And John, of course, takes that as confirmation that all men want other men to think they're wild men. Hashtag undertones. But all that said to me was that his son knows that John is not nice and doesn't think being nice is anything to aspire to. And that's fine. It's not healthy or good, but it's fine if John Eldridge wants to be a shitty man in the name of being an Eldridge man. But the problem is that John Eldridge really thinks his way of being a man is the way. And his way is awful. It's empty, it's angry, and it's performative. And John is way more interested and invested in assigning blame to mythical men from the past than doing the real work of dealing with himself. And so as much as I dislike John Eldridge, I don't really have anything bad to wish for him because I don't have to. He's not a happy person. He can't be. It takes a miserable man to write something so misguided and misogynist. And the only thing worse than reading his writing or being a woman or child in his life would be to be John Eldridge himself. There is a special place in hell for him. And as far as I can tell, he's been living in it for years. So... Thank you for joining me for this chapter of Wild at Heart. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than I did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, a Legata Scratch production, and a God is Not Given side hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of Jodly and Jodwilly patrons like Leah. Thank you, Leah. If you're enjoying this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or review. And if you'd like more info on how to become a monthly supporter and get access to bonus episodes, hit the show notes for the links. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. I am Janice Legata, and this has been an episode of Bad Words, but here are some good ones. Paint your nails. <laughs> paint your nails. I promise. Just trust me. Paint your nails. I am, I'm like, all of my friends joke that I'm going to start a nail salon at some point, which sounds like a very bad, horrible, difficult job. <laughs> but like, I paint my nails every week and I paint my friends nails like anyone who will sit still long enough I will paint your nails and 
even for gay men who are already in this world of like my masculinity does not look like other people's masculinity i'm in this world of like my expression and all this doesn't look like everybody else even for them a lot of adult men gay straight or whatever have just never painted your nails it's not something that people do and it's shockingly still very destabilizing for people like when i'm out in the world with painted nails people are staring and they're like if i if i hold my credit card out to pay for something they're like looking for a little too long like did you did you have your nails painted? and i get a lot of compliments it's not a bad thing but it's like i find that when i paint my friend's nails it just unlocks something that you're like i feel pretty like i have this little bit of like glitter on my nails and it's like i just i look down and i see this and i'm not used to it it's like you don't have to suddenly be gender non-conforming like you don't have to like do anything crazy but like just the permission to feel beautiful i have just this this little pop of color like just this little you know my my hand is pretty you know like it's just cute and i feel like it really like unlocks something that and for women too you know if you don't paint your nails treat yourself just try it you know it's just i think it's just such a simple but such a fun way to like just i don't know try something new and and allow your full humanity to flourish you could call it your feminine side you could call it your whatever you can call it whatever you want but just like you are a full rounded human let it all come out you know